I have shared my personal testimony in the past about the events that led up to my being a preacher. But if you'll bear with me, I would like to share it again because in some ways it has some similarities to events within Jesus' experience as he began his ministry. My story begins sometime in the mid-1980s when I began to experience this strong desire and calling to preach and to teach these truths of the gospel, all the ones that I had been learning about over the years after my becoming a believer in Christ. And that desire was very compelling. It was a compelling force within my spirit. But because of the admonition given in the book of James that not many should be teachers and preachers, because teachers will be held to a much higher standard, I resisted that compelling call for some years. But as God would have it to be, by sometime in the year 1987, that compelling demand overcame my fears, and I began to teach and to preach. And it was during those first few years of my going out to other churches to preach, I received a visit, a strange, an odd visit from the pastor of my local church where I regularly attended when I was not out preaching. And he made this odd request of me. He said that my attendance and my involvement was so, in, so valuable to his church and to the students there at French camp that I should stop preaching at those other churches and attend only his church. But I vividly recall the answer to his request coming immediately to my mind from the words of 1 Corinthians chapter 9, where Paul said, Woe be unto me if I preach not this gospel. Woe be unto me if I preach not this gospel. And so it has been for me all the days since that day. I know exactly what God's call is for my life. Now, he may at some point give me rest from that call. But until then, I really must keep on preaching. And so it was also with the Lord Jesus. He came to this earth with that same calling to preach this gospel lodged firmly within his heart. And he would not be deterred from that calling until the moment of his final breath. Here in today's passage, we read where some very earnest people, similar in some ways to those people who came to talk to me, came to the Lord Jesus and sought to alter His calling and have Him just stay and minister to them. But thanks be to God, Jesus would not be deterred. Listen to these words, beginning in verse 42 of Luke chapter 4. Now when it was day... He departed and went into a deserted place. And the crowd sought him, and they came to him, and they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, because for this purpose I have been sent. And he was then preaching in the synagogues of Galilee. A point of understanding that I have shared often with us from these scriptures is that God is always intentional, and He truly does have a plan, a desire, a purpose for each one of us. It's really not enough 
that we are born and that we survive the number of years allotted to us, gain whatever enjoyment we can gain out of life, but then one day just fade into someone's distant memory. That is not the plan at all that God has for us. Each one of us is part of a much broader plan that God put into place long even before He formed the foundations of this earth. And it's a personal and it's an intimate plan. And if we will only have eyes to see and ears to hear and accept His plan, we will truly be blessed beyond measure. And that plan is given to us in some familiar words that I've quoted to us often from Jeremiah 29, verse 11. There God says, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. The question that we must face ourselves with at every opportunity is, are we walking according to God's plan for us? Do we even believe that God has a specific plan for us individually and personally? Or do we believe that His plans are for the most part just some wide-ranging group of general Christian principles that He would like for everyone to generally agree to and try to follow? I ask that question because I had a deacon of a church tell me that some years ago. He said, God has just a group of Christian principles that He would like for us to follow. And it's up to us then to follow those general plans. May I give us a stern warning concerning those words? God's plans are not just a collection of general Christian principles that will help us to live some idealized pattern of life. God's plans are personal. And they're intimate to each of us individually. And while his plans may seem to be just about Christian principles, they are not. They're about a person. They're about an intimate relationship with that person, the person of Jesus Christ. And yes, God's plans do in most every way look like a set of rules. Unfortunately, too many people within our churches today consider that to be what this Bible is all about. Because God's plans do look like a set of rules. They're called that in the Old Testament. They're called rules and laws and statutes. But there's so much more than what our understanding about rules and laws and statutes are supposed to be. God's plans, God's rules, God's laws and statutes, they actually reveal the very heart of God. I'm reminded at the time when Moses pleaded with God to let him see God's person. And God did grant Moses this quick glimpse of his glory. But that was not all that God revealed about himself. Because immediately after God revealed a glimpse of his glory, he also gave Moses the Ten Commandments. And folks, those Ten Commandments reveal far more of the person of God than any quick glimpse of His blazing glory. Those Ten Commandments reveal the intimate heart of God. And they reveal the plans that He has for us. Most people seem to have this natural aversion to rules and laws and statutes. To them, rules and laws are considered as being more of a restriction 
than a blessing. But folks, that's just not so. That's just not so. Rules and laws are given as a loving provision and a protection for us. But unfortunately, that natural aversion to rules and laws is strong within each of us. And because we don't take the time necessary to get to know the heart and the character of God, we find ourselves then needing to rearrange God's provisions and especially His plans into an order that makes them just a little more acceptable and a little more convenient to our own ideas and our own plans. And while we might not think that we do that sort of thing, we do. We do. You do. And I do. And as we intermix in our own desires and our own plans and then filter them through that the distorted image and message that we receive from the world and its ways, we then find ourselves living an uncertain and sometimes ambiguous form of lifestyle, Christian lifestyle. Yes, we believe all those big and more broad teachings of God, that He created the heavens and the earth and all that sort of thing. And yes, we can also believe that He created the systems that help to run this earth, the processes that runs the daily activities of this world, the ecological systems, the the governmental systems, the economic systems. And even further, we may also believe that God has placed within the minds of men and women all the intellect and abilities necessary to carry out man's part in those systems. But unfortunately, if we will listen carefully to the words that come out of our own mouths each day, we will hear threads of philosophy that are simply not consistent with these scriptures. We'll hear words to the effect that there's a point in which we believe that God steps back and leaves all the rest of the plan to you and me. Some people will even give the quote, God helps those who helps themselves. And they think that those are words that come out of these scriptures. But folks, they don't. They're not in these scriptures. That's a secular expression. Now, for most of us, if seriously questioned about the kind of belief that I've just spoken about, would certainly say that they don't intentionally live that way. But again, in the reality of daily life, when we move into real time of life, this really is where most of us live and carry out the activities of our day. We live as if we are players on a field who've been trained up and put into shape. And then all the matters of our day are then our game time. Now, while yes, God does call all the right plays for us, but when we're on our own out there on that field, we play as if we are on our own to do the very best that we can. And that's disappointing. That's disappointing to me when I do it daily. That should be disappointing to you because that is not the plan of God. Thankfully, even though we go about trying to do most all those things by ourselves, God remains faithful to those of us who have given our hearts to Him. He is ever and always providential, ever and always at work within the background of our daily activities, intimately working, bringing about the plans that He has for us. His hand is always at work within those plans. We don't often see it, but it's there. Those plans again, He said, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. They're plans for welfare and not for calamity to bring you a future and a hope. 
And then it goes on from that verse to verse 12, where he says, Then you will call upon me, and you'll come to me, and you'll pray to me, and I will listen to you. You'll seek me, and you'll find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Now with verse 11 being God's part of the plan, that's where he says he has a plan for us, plans for us to prosper, not to harm us, plans to give us a future and a hope. Our part then can really become simple. Verse 12, then you'll call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Folks, this really should not be as difficult for us as we often make it to be. We should not be so easily dissuaded by the events of our day. Yes, we do know that there is always an opposing plan being forced upon us by the world, the flesh, and the devil. And it is always there, and it is always going to take place. But folks, God is God. And His plan is able to overcome that opposition. The one and only obstacle that you and I really have to overcome resides within our own hearts. And that is our willingness to fully put our trust and dependence upon God and in His plan. To the degree that you and I are able to look up and to see and to grab hold of the plans and the provisions that God has already put into place. That is the degree that we'll get ourselves back on course when we wander off. We'll calm down. We'll stop worrying. We'll stop being afraid. And so many people are afraid these days to stop going places and getting involved in things that are not good for us. It's simply a matter of choice, a decision. We make them all day, every day anyway. God is simply reminding us to choose His plans and His purposes for our lives rather than being consumed with all of the opposing possibilities that the world, the flesh, and the devil throws at us. That was the problem that Eve had. She was given these choices, and she chose not to follow the plan of God. She wanted to make her own plan, and Adam joined with her, and you and I are in the condition that we're in today because of it. Here in these words of today's text, Jesus is allowing us to see similar choices that he himself was faced with. We might not easily comprehend this fact, but the truth is Jesus was very human, especially in matters of making choices. He had emotions and he had inclinations and temptations pulling at him every moment, just as you and I have. He had family coming to him, asking him to do certain things. He had disciples trying to talk him into going a different direction. He could have made any number of choices and decisions all along his way. Any one of them might have been a really good choice. Listen, though, as strange as these next words are going to sound to you, let me say them with emphasis. Making really good choices is not always the really right thing to do. Let me say that again. Making really good choices is not always the really right thing to do. Now, why is that so? It's because within God's plan, the really right choices are limited to that very narrow path that He wants you and me to follow. Remember those words in Matthew 7 where He said, Enter by the narrow gate, 
For wide is the gate, broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. But narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. I'm reminded of some of the tests that I used to take while I was still in school. Some of the teachers and professors like to give multiple choice questions where all four answers would be very close to being correct. But it would take really close examination to determine which of those four answers was really the right choice. Now here in today's text, we see that Jesus was being well received by these people. He was believed and he was appreciated and he was asked to remain with them, at least for a while. Often, that is our method, your and my method, of making a decision. If we're successful in our work, in a ministry, in a relationship, we take that as being a stamp of approval from God to remain where we are. And sometimes that is the right thing to do. But not always. Not always. These words of the Lord Jesus tell us about a more perfect way. And they are intended to be a testimony and a witness to you and me to instruct us about the choices that will face us each day. Let me read again these words of our passage. Verse 42. Now when it was day, he departed and he went into a deserted place. And the crowd sought him and came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, because for this purpose I've been sent. And he was preaching in the synagogues in Galilee. Now here Jesus was intentionally walking away from an opportunity that you and I would probably accept. We often tend to stay when asked to stay. But Jesus knew that he had a greater calling. And he knew the purpose for which God, his Father, had sent him. But a question. How would Jesus have known that purpose for which he had been sent? He knew it because of this ongoing intimate guidance that was taking place within his heart from God's Holy Spirit. You'll recall just a chapter earlier that the Holy Spirit had descended upon Jesus. And so he had the Holy Spirit to guide him. And we also know that he testified using the words of Isaiah when he said just a few verses earlier in this chapter, he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recover the sight of the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord." This was Jesus' calling, and he knew it well. The plans of God are complete in every way. He forms a plan. He calls those that he wants to take part within that plan. And then he equips them for the task. And then he sends them forth to carry it out. But he ever and always personally remains within those people and those plans throughout every step of the way. Praise the Lord. The plan that Jesus was following began sometime before the foundations of the earth, deep within those mysteries of the Trinity. There, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit formed all the plans for the redemption and salvation of mankind, of you and me. 
And there at that time, it was determined that Jesus would be the one who would be sent forth to carry out that plan. And that was what Jesus was doing as he gently responded to these people who asked him to stay with them. He simply stated the plan. He said, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also because for this purpose, I have been sent. And let me give you those purposes again. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That was the mission that God the Father and God the Holy Spirit and the Lord Jesus formed therein the eternities of the Trinity. Jesus was faithful now to carry out his portion of this plan. Nothing would be allowed to deter or to dissuade him from his appointed tasks. The redemption, again, the redemption and the salvation of mankind was just far too important. And so, as the people begged him to stay where he was, he made the simple choice. He said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, because for this purpose I've been sent. What does this mean to you and to me as we go about our ordinary day? As you walk out of this church today, what do these words mean to you? Folks, it means simply this. You and I are the remaining body of Christ on this earth. And he tells us in Colossians chapter 1 that we must fill up behind that which is still lacking in the sufferings of Christ. We are the body of Christ. And as the body of Christ, we also have this calling. We've been equipped by the filling of the Holy Spirit. And we're being sent out into all the world to preach this gospel. Whether it be from a pulpit or it be a Bible study that you're involved in, or a Sunday school class, or just a phone call with a friend. You and I must preach and teach this gospel in whatever venue God gives to us. We don't have the privilege of laying back and receiving all the benefits of being a Christian without doing our part of God's plan. We do not have the privilege of working hard just to have stuff entertainment, self-centered pursuits that benefit no one except us and our families. That is not part of the plan. You and I are to be about the same work that Jesus began. And may I add that friendly advice that we tend to get involved with, personal opinions, they can be helpful. But listen, friendly advice and personal opinions cannot save a person's soul. They need the gospel that Jesus speaks about here. All we have to do is look around us. There are people that you and I know who do not know the gospel. Their behavior speaks it well. And there are new people being born on this earth every day. They're missing out on the plans of God, and we must not allow that to take place. Yes, salvation is by grace alone through Christ alone. But listen, you and I have been called and equipped to be the means through which His grace is ministered to those unsaved people. And we have been sent to tell those people about this good news that the Lord Jesus has given to us. And woe be it unto us, woe be it unto us, 
if we don't preach this gospel. God does have a plan for you and me. It's a plan to prosper us, not to harm us. A plan to give us a future and a hope. And part of God's plan is that you and I must daily invite others into His kingdom. Let's pray.